0: Thank you for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G. I'm your host, Dean Hinkson. The 2020 campaign season is now coming into the final stretch. The first presidential debate is less than a week away, and the races that will determine control of the Senate and the battleground states in the presidential are all tightening. It's an election set in the context of a global pandemic, a Supreme Court vacancy, and no small amount of social unrest. So I'm very pleased to be joined today by two of the partners here at the firm to help break it all down. We're going to try to run through 2020 in 20 minutes with Republican Bruce Melman and Democrat David Thomas. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Dean. David, I'll start with you. Our friend here, Bruce, has a real talent for alliteration, and he likes to break down the driving issues right now into the four Cs. Congress, China, courts, and campaigns. So let's start with Congress, government funding, additional stimulus, a whole host of expiring provisions waiting in the lame duck post-election. What's going to get done before Congress heads home to campaign, and what's waiting when they get back?
1: Uh, gosh, I think I'd add a, a fifth C to describe my state of mind right now, and that's confusion. Dean, uh, <laughs> No, I, you know, I actually think that the situation in Congress uh, may be uh, the most clear right now. The House has passed a CR which will extend government funding through December 11th. Uh, the Senate is expected to take that up in short order. And you know the president is, is uh, expected to sign it, although you never quite know with President Trump. Um, so I would take that issue off the table. That's going to be kicked to the lame duck. I don't think we're going to see a uh, resumption of COVID uh, legislation negotiations here, despite the really great need, I think, that the country could have both to deal with the pandemic and the economic outcome. There are industries like airlines and and restaurants that certainly are in need of support at this time and should be taken up, but it doesn't feel like that's going to get started. So that really leaves us with uh, the Supreme Court seat to be filled. Um, And that is the third big item that's on the agenda. So I think those are the big three things that we're watching in the uh, short-term
2: regime. And I'll agree with you, if I can, on I don't see another COVID package coming either. I think for the White House and the Republicans, stock markets remain pretty high. That would be a reason why they think they need to move things. The economy's reopening, the public uh, campaign polling is tightening, Um, lawsuits haven't emerged as a barrier to reopening, and frankly, the base, the Republican base is pissed off about too much government, lockdowns and masks, and the answer to that isn't more trillions of dollars in spending.
0: Well, Bruce, one issue that won't seem to go away and and looks to be with us for some time, we saw President Trump and Chinese President Xi this week give dueling addresses uh, to the UN. China remains on pandemic, on trade, on technology, at the very least a strategic adversary. What we heard from both leaders could at least pass for Cold War rhetoric. What's driving our geopolitics with China, and what do you think is the next shoe to drop?
2: So I do think it's been a long time in coming. The U.S.-China decoupling reflects a variety of things. Most significantly, China didn't turn out the way the Washington consensus said it would. There was a belief making permanent normal trade relations, admitting them to the World Trade Organization, would lead to a more liberalized China. We heard that from Bill Clinton, we heard that from George Bush. Um, The wise men and, and, and foreign policy establishment folks all believed that would be true, yet under President Xi, China's become more authoritarian. And they're not playing by the same rules of the global economy, and that was a concern of the Obama administration, a concern in the latter part of the Bush administration, and something President Trump campaigned on, and he's uh, he's not waiting any longer. And so we've seen uh, an acceleration of friction between the U.S. and China throughout his four years, and that's really accelerating now in this campaign season. It's one of, uh, it's both, uh, it's consistent policy, but it's also a winning narrative politically for the president. So there are a lot of shoes. This is an Melda Marcos closet in a hurricane amount of shoes that could drop. You know, things we're watching closely. Could they cancel the phase one trade deal? Could they put more uh, Chinese companies on the entity list, like maybe SMIC or even HSBC? Are more human rights sanctions or disclosure or exclusions likely given the treatment of the Uyghurs and now uh, possibly other minority groups in China? Uh, New Buy American rules or incentives, something uh, Vice President Biden's campaigning on. Commerce Department has been waiting to issue some new final export controls that could come any moment could even get more hairy and they could do things like delisting companies, something Wall Street is against, but Chinese companies that don't uh, submit a uh, gap uh, con- uh, consistent accounting, or even the, the mother of all that I would say would never be put on the table, but this is a different president is uh, would the president who, who, who pointed out that the plague around the world is China's fault yesterday at the UN, is he going to say the administration is looking at COVID reparations, you know, perhaps Accomplished by even something as radical as non payment of interest. Now, I don't think he'll say that because I think the markets would totally freak out, which is unhelpful to getting reelected. But, uh, but it's, uh, it's on the list of things that we're trying to uh, sniff the wind for.
0: David, as much opposition as President Trump's foreign policy at all levels has garnered from Democrats, at least rhetorically, I don't know that much would change under a Biden administration with our posture towards China.
1: Certainly in the short term, Dean, I, I, I agree with that here. I think uh, turning around this uh, tanker is going to take some time. And I'm not sure in a what we expect to be a very busy 2021, if, if uh, President uh, Biden is, is elected and inaugurated, that diving into the China relationship isn't going to be his first priority. I really look to things more uh, directly at the forefront, responding to the COVID uh, crisis being number one, economic uh, stimulus to get the economy going again, I think is going to be close there, um, addressing the environment, social justice. These are the kind of things, I think, in a, in a first hundred days and beyond that he'll be dealing with. Restoring the um, relationship with our allies is certainly very important here, but uh, the recalibration on China is just going to take more time.
2: Well, and that presumes, DT, there's going to be a recalibration. I'm not so sure not that ultimately there's not uh, agreement between the two campaigns, that, it's, uh, that the confrontation with China is long overdue. It feels to me that rhetorically what they're saying, intellectually, the way they operate is they're going to be more inclined to say, how do we put the band back together? How do we get the Western democracies that once upon a time checked the Soviet communists with NATO to put something together, uh, whether it's policies or even organizations, that can check the new uh, threat of Chinese communism and, as with the Cold War, prevent a, uh, a, a global catastrophe while at the same time forcing change over some period of time uh, through the alliance of the West.
0: You know, what, whether we're dealing with Trump too or President Biden in the, uh, in the next year, I think one of the events that's going to govern the political atmosphere we're working in is how this uh, Supreme Court vacancy gets filled. David, the the death of Justice Ginsburg uh, created that vacancy late last week. In very short order, Leader McConnell announced the president's nominee would get a vote in the Senate. And now with Senator Romney's agreement to consider that nominee on the merits and not object on process, it looks like Senate Republicans have the votes when the time comes. We don't have a nominee yet. There still has to be a hearing in the Judiciary Committee, but do Democrats have any cards to play here, or, or does this sail through? I'm, I'm
1: afraid to say I think this probably sails through, Dean, and uh, there are very few uh, tools in the toolbox, or at least in the uh, Senate rule toolbox, for Senator Schumer and others to use to slow things down. They can delay the Judiciary Committee vote in hearing uh, by one week, and they can use all of the allocated uh, time on the floor to speak on the nomination, but there is no real way they can um, stop things from proceeding. So, uh, you know, that really turns to the court of public opinion, which is, I think, what you're going to see Senator Schumer doing. I certainly think you're going to see Speaker Pelosi. The House, of course, has no role in the in the approval of nominations. So uh, anything that they do is going to be outside that process. But I think what you'll see uh, Democrats doing at this point is trying to channel that energy and the really... Great concern about uh, filling the seat and trying to turn it into people continuing to come up with their plan on how to vote. That is, uh, you know, trying to make a little lemonade out of lemons for the, for the Democrats here because they really don't have much to slow things down at this point.
2: Although, I'll tell you what, uh, guys, talk about why people hate Washington. So, <laughs> th- th- start with the Democrats, right? The, uh, the, uh, with nine months before an election, it's outrageous, all caps, a lot of exclamation points that the Senate didn't consider a new nominee with two months before an election. It's outrageous that they would dare consider it. You know, I haven't seen, is, is it five months and a day? Like, where is the line that's not outrageous? But of course you have the Republicans who who, uh, with, with great sanctimony gave speeches in election year. It's, you know, democracy should allow the voters to decide. And now with, you know, veritable seconds until the election, it's like, we're just doing our jobs. You know, we have our jobs to do and we're gonna go ahead and do our jobs. If I'm a voter, I despise both parties with the such flip-floppery and such uh, sanctimony that they both bring to what sure feels like a straight-up exercise of raw power. You do it if you can, and if you can't, you suggest that this is a um, a great affront to democracy.
0: I don't know that this has a huge impact on the presidential election other than being a convenient change of topic from a uh, from a sort of a pandemic referendum. I do see it impacting Senate races, uh, probably impacts red state Senate races in a different way than blue state. But how do you guys see it? Boy,
1: I, you know, I'm not so, so sure I agree with you there, Dean. I have the uh, battle scars from the past two elections here, 2016 and 2018. And you could argue that uh, Supreme Court Uh, vacancies uh, greatly affected the outcome in both of those uh, elections here. 2016, of course, the Merrick Garland situation, and in 2018, uh, the confirmation of Justice Kavanaugh. Both, I think, Republicans became more engaged in the process and were able to turn around their voters. So all of a sudden, we see a similar situation in in 2020 upon us again. I think that the question will be, you know, whose whose side is more exercised by this uh, development here and and who can turn out the vote?
2: Yeah, I'm, well, you're very much right, Dean. And frankly, you're more of an expert in the Senate races, being a former chief of staff to three senators than I am. But I don't agree. I agree with DT and not with you on the idea that it's it's not a big uh, event in the presidential. I think it's pretty big. I mean, first, we would be talking only about COVID two hundred thousand right now. So the administration and, and they're they're on defense on COVID, but they're on offense on the court. So giving them something else to talk about, changing the subject helps. Reminds everybody that it's a choice. Uh, as a, you know, so it's not just Trump versus uh, Biden now, but it's also one of the two uh, women who are going to be put up by uh, by the President Trump versus a you know what's Biden going to do? He could say, well, I haven't decided. Uh, or maybe he'll decide he needs a name, but however you do it, you now have more choices that you're considering. Um, We'd seen evangelical, Catholic, and and traditional conservative voters less enthusiastic about President Trump than they had been in 2016, you know, four years of kind of all over the place, uh, had some of them feeling like uh, they wanted things to slow down, but this is their issue. And, you know, look, these hearings are coming up and they're going to be huge, if you have uh, progressive overreactions, you have you run the risk of of even turning off some independence. I mean, if 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 what Representative Kent, Joe Kennedy and Senator Markey are saying, you know what? If these guys confirm while they're sitting senators and while a sitting president has duly um, nominated a, a, a nominee, we're going to make D.C. and Puerto Rico states. We're going to make you know we're going to double the number of, of justices. Maybe we're going to amend the Constitution you know, if that's the agenda they want, it sort of plays to what the president has long been saying, which is that, you know, the so-called radical left. I always thought the genius and DT tell me I'm wrong, but the genius for the D's of picking Biden is that guy's just not a radical. That guy is, you know, it's the guy you've known. He's been in Washington for 4,000 years. He is a moderate, chill guy. Um, But suddenly you now have a progressive wing demanding really radical stuff.
1: Well, I think, Bruce, if you if you look at the response, not to You know Senator Markey or Congressman Kennedy, who are not running for president, but 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 Vice President Biden. What he's saying is the real-world implications for what this vacancy means for you. And the first thing you can point to is the ACA, which is on uh, the docket to be considered by the Supreme Court this fall. And a change in the disposition of the seat may mean that those who are covered under uh, pre-existing conditions are going to lose their coverage. The 20 million Americans who have coverage over. Um, May, the ACA may lose their coverage that is why he is trying to judge from not the personalities of the particular uh, candidates who are out there or what the Democrats may do in 2021 to get back at Mitch McConnell it's focusing on the policies here
2: that's the bet they're making that'll make the difference in the end we'll see I, th- I think that's a good point and, and you can add into you can add into the ACA uh, roe v Wade. You know, if Roe v. Wade's on the ballot, a majority of Americans uh, support maintaining Roe v. Wade, uh, although, again, uh, the popular vote, which Hillary Clinton won, is almost surely going to be won by Joe Biden. This is all about the Electoral College, which means it's all about states uh, that, uh, you know, at least in the industrial Midwest, are, are, are more Catholic. And so I haven't seen that issue polled in those states, but I'm sure the White House folks, I don't know, Dean, you know the White House folks well. Uh, what's your take? Do you think it'll be Amy Comey Barrett or you think it'll be Judge Lagoa?
0: Oh, I think this is Amy Coney Barrett all day long. I think she was, uh, I think she's the preference of the caucus. I think she's the most vetted, uh, the most sympathetic in terms of her profile and her family sitting behind her. I'm going to take the under on that.
2: I think when all said and done, they're going to say uh, Judge Lagoa got 80 votes uh, one year ago, so a lot of Democrats who found her acceptable and qualified for the 11th Circuit a year later are going to, you know, vote against a uh, a Cuban-American, uh, clearly bright Floridian on process. Uh, and I think they're going to make the raw calculation that Florida, which has been slight, you know, within the margin of error but lead by uh, Biden, I think they're going to make the uh, calculation. Same reason. You know, just happened to announce new sanctions against Cuba today. Gee, that was uh, that
0: was subtle. Well, Barrett has the added virtue of being a Hoosier, and as we know, <laughs> Hoosiers rule the world. Days. <laughs> well, we veered right into the issues that this campaign is going to be decided on. Bruce, as I noted in the intro, the, the Senate races, the presidential battlegrounds are all tightening uh, as they normally do as we get closer to election day. In a lot of states, voters are already casting ballots. Uh, so, how do you see the state of the race uh, right now heading into October? And and what do you, what are some of the other key issues that's going to be decided on?
2: I think the race is close uh, in the Electoral College. I think uh, the polling has gotten both <laughs> polling has gotten tighter though some of that is a reversion to the mean. There were some July leads by uh, Vice President Biden that we're just not going to hold. The question is, is this a choice between two candidates or a referendum? If it's a referendum on the president, it's hard not to be a referendum on the pandemic. Um, and I think uh, the president would lose that because even if he is a wartime president, it feels like 1942. You know, we haven't won this war by any stretch. If it's a choice, the White House then wants to steer it to either a choice between their nominee for the Supreme Court and whomever Biden names or, or refuses the name, or a choice about who's better positioned to help restore economic growth. A polling question that Donald Trump has consistently led Vice President Biden on, um, the the average of the September polls was about six points. So it's uh, it's tight. A lot could turn on debates. These are two candidates uh, who are... Uh, both in their 70s and both very well-known for unscripted moments. If you like politics, you got to be watching the debates. I think it may be the most watched thing in the calendar year and maybe the most watched debates in American history. I
1: can't disagree with Bruce there. I mean, this is not just going to be the Super Bowl of debates. It's going to be bigger than the Super Bowl. Uh, I can't think of anybody who won't be watching uh, the, the debate that night. So it's, it's going to be a critical moment, one of the few, few uh, last opportunities for each candidate to sort of make their case, Proves the public that they're uh, they're ready to, to do the job.
2: You know, unlike I think, the Super uh, Bowl, person- by the way, the uh, the ads will be less funny than the show. So.
1: <laughs> uh, I, you know, as I uh, as I start to look at at the map here, I think that you know uh, the Biden campaign is is uh, cautiously optimistic here, not taking anything for granted, uh, making sure they're trying to restore the, uh, the 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 blue wall in the Midwest that uh, did not go their way in 2016. Those are the you know they're really focused on the nuts and bolts of turning out their voters here in an uncertain election season. Uh, the biggest unknown this point is, what is the state of the pandemic in, uh, in November here? Will people be able to turn out to vote? Uh, number one, that's a big question. Number two is, will the election officials across the state be able to count the uh, unprecedented number of mail-in uh, votes that are gonna take place? And how do we educate the public to make sure that they are aware that we may not know on election night who the next president is going to be, because it will take time to count those votes. Those are what is keeping the Biden campaign sort of working so hard and probably keeping them up at night.
0: It's no fun in election season without predictions. So I'm going to put both you guys on the spot. How about a Senate control and margin and what's the Electoral College look like? Bruce, I'll start with you.
2: Well, Dean, it's 2020, the year of giant
0: locusts, epic uh,
2: forest (laughs) fires and I'm going to the Electoral College is 269 to 269, which has happened twice in American history. You know, there was a tie kicking it to the House. There are 64 possible combinations, as I just tweeted this morning, that lead to a 269 to 269 tie. It's the most 2020 thing I can imagine. Likewise, I say the Senate is going to be 50 50, although that's probably after one or two Georgia runoffs are over, and those aren't going to be decided. It's not about vote counting. They're not going to be decided because you need 50 percent plus one, in at least one of those races, they're what? Eight candidates? nine candidates. So it's hard to get 50 plus.
0: Uh, Not with that happen. many candidates.
2: D T, uh, what do you? Think? You're going to you're going to obviously say Vice President Biden's going to win this. D T, how big are you going to give it to him?
1: So I've been. Uh, Real Clear Politics is, is obviously a great website, and I do love the fact that you can create your own electoral map. So I spend a lot of time playing with that. Uh, you probably and, uh, keep reliving two thousand,
2: giving Gore Florida, don't you?
1: <laughs> Bruce, too soon. Too soon. (laughs) I will say this. I, you know, as I've been uh, looking at it recently, my my count has been 309 Biden 229, I think it would be for President uh, Trump. So a uh, fairly decisive victory. uh, And he does pull those Midwestern states back into his uh, column. As I look at the Senate, I think uh, I'll agree to Bruce, it's going to be close. I don't think it's going to be that close. I think it's going to be 51-49 at the end of the day. Um, I see, you know, definitely see Arizona Colorado, Maine, and, and possibly uh, Dean home state homestead, North Carolina, flipping and uh, going into the, the Democrats column here. And that's even before you get to Georgia. So feeling, uh, feeling bullish
0: when it comes to the Senate. Uh, you are. I'm going to push back on North Carolina, but we shall see. Bruce Melman, David Thomas, thanks for joining me on 14th and G. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me.